Welcome to Energy Matters to You, February 28th, 2018th edition. The Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. The Energy Matters to You podcast seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. We're your host. My name is Leo Ryan. I'm here with my co-host, Ron Galuli. Ron, how are you? Good afternoon, Leo. I'm doing well. How about yourself? All good here. Uh, so I saw you were pretty active on LinkedIn this week. You were excited about uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission FERC Order 841. What got you so excited about that? Well, you know, from everything we read about 841, it's poised to open up the floodgates for storage participation. So it's a really, really big deal. I think a game changer at the regulatory level. So it's geared toward uh, the RTOs and ISOs to come up with market rules for energy storage participation at the wholesale level. And then I assume that's going to percolate down to the, you know, local utilities, you know, and where demand charges vary across the board. But in locally here in Mass and Rhode Island, the time of use rates don't really lend itself to energy storage. You know, you have a peak window, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., or natural grids, peak windows, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. First of all, I like to see the definition of peak because it's certainly not, those aren't the peak hours, right? So there's vastly different rates within the same state. Demand charges can range from 10 bucks a kW to as high as 30, I think, right in the Boston area. And then in Rhode Island, they throw in ratchets. So there's a lot of work to be done. And hopefully this is the beginning of uh, the storage market to grow and continue to grow. Interesting. Okay. So you made that, that clear connection from, you know, FERC order 841 opens the floodgate for energy storage as an opportunity. And one of the key benefits of storage is managing demand charges. And as you said, in Massachusetts, the, the demand charge definition and the way it's rolled out in Massachusetts is complicated. Very complicated. Eversource alone has four different large time of use rates just in the various Eversource territories within Massachusetts. Yeah, so They're if not you're consistent at all, yeah. if you're a customer trying to to manage that demand charge, there's a, there's a lot for you to know about. Not not only you got to understand the technology, how that's going to apply in your facility but then also how the grid system is handling demand charges. Exactly. Yeah, that's why you, you may need the services of Tom Dyer at Usource mm-hmm. to help you manage that. Our, our last guest on Energy Matters to You. Well, listen, we got a, a new guest on today. we got uh, Stephen LaFail, who's a, a product manager for TicoGen. I want to welcome Stephen to, uh, to uh, Energy Matters to You. Steve, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I always like to get the commercial up quickly. So, uh, so Tikogen, tell us a little bit about who Tikogen is, who they serve, and, and, and what they do in the marketplace. Sure. So, yeah, Tikogen, uh, we're a combined heat and power uh, company, everything from manufacturing, some cases installing, and then in most cases, uh, long-term service thereafter. We've been in business for just over 35 years now. Uh, so, we've We've been doing it a long time, uh, certainly probably a lot longer than uh, CHP has been a buzzword. The time is good right now. People are asking for these products, um, and we have a, a lot of unique CHP products that we offer in addition to the kind of traditional, what I'd call electrical CHP products, or, or a lot of people refer to as cogen. So a lot of neat products. We're doing a lot of things differently and uh, really trying to 
changed the game in, in CHP with a lot of integration of energy storage and, and things like that that we can uh, we can get into later. Yeah, so we we started the conversation today about uh, about storage. I want you to talk to us uh, first about what what kind of problems is TicoGen solving for their marketplace. Yeah, so the, I think the the number one reason people turn to us is they're looking to put money in their pockets and save on their utility bills. You know, electric rates continue to go up, especially time of use charges, which you guys touched on, demand charges. There's a recent rate case for local utility where it's going to go up even further. It's it's about thir- around $30 per kW at peak in Boston, and it, it could go up even into the 40s. And, and we're already seeing rates that high in, in other cities, such as New York City. So customers are looking to save money, I think, primarily. I think the, the, the crux of CHP also allows you to claim greenhouse gas savings due to you know a, a source efficiency increase compared to buying power from the grid and, and making hot water or steam in a boiler locally with natural gas. So there's the environmental piece of it. But generally, it's just it's, it's operating cost savings. That's the, that's the biggest reason. Hey, Steve, when you get in front of a client, how aware are they of time of use charges and demand charges? Yeah, I would say generally uh, not very aware. We see a lot of people referring to their utility bill, especially the electric bill, you know, as a kind of a blended rate, um, just how big the demand component of the bill can be. And, and that I find that's perpetuated even by some utility partners and people. It is and generally easier to look at it that way, but it really, I think you miss a big, a big piece of it. You know, what we find is a, a transportation bill for a customer in the summer might have 60% or more of it is from demand and, and not from energy. And then I think what's even more kind of cryptic is the commodity bill, right? Your, your commodity rate uh, is somewhat based on demand as well. There's this ICAP uh, tag and that's a, that's a 11th month ratchet, right? Versus at least the transportation demand is typically monthly. Your demand has a big impact on your bills. And I think a lot of customers don't quite understand that. But I feel like a lot of customers are starting to question, why is my bill so high and, and what's causing it? And they're finding out that it's generally demand in the summer. So, Steve, um, how do you get a customer to be dialed in on their demand charges? Because, you know, a lot of my experience shows that for example, we were with a customer in Rhode Island. They had no idea that their ratchet was impacting their monthly fees. You know, we see a few customers jumping in and figuring out, okay, uh, capacity charge and capacity charge mitigation uh, are very important. But in general, it's not on right on the top of their radar. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, in, in many cases, these things are brought to light by uh, different energy efficiency companies and sort of informal partners of ours, someone like Lighthouse being one of them. Uh, but there are opportunities where we actually engage directly with the customer and we'll have our own kind of internal analysts that will you know, request the utility bills from the customer. And then once we have those bills, we'll, we'll really start to paint a picture uh, for that customer of where their money is going, right? And it's and a lot of times, a very small part of it is going to energy, and then it could be a very big portion of it going to demand. And then what we'll do is we'll we'll present various CHP solutions that can address or mitigate those charges. And we have a couple ways of doing that. The kind of the more traditional way is an electrical CHP system, which is going to basically make some of your 
your power on site and get some free hot water to use. And that's going to reduce your overall peak demand. Now, it should be noted that sometimes those types of CHP systems cannot always, they certainly cannot guarantee demand savings. And I think Kikogen's of the opinion that we maintain a pretty conservative approach on how we claim those demand savings for a customer. Um, And I think we're doing some things differently that really helps our systems actually capture demand for customers. So for example, a lot of times if we're in, say, New York City with a really high demand rate, our service guys are are absolutely cognizant of the demand. So they're not going to go in there and do a PM service at one o'clock in the afternoon on a unit or or go in there and shut a whole CHP plant down. Because if that plant's off for even 15 minutes, have a major impact on the customer's bill. And, And we make sure that all of our People are, you know, even down to the service guy level are, are somewhat educated about that. So it's strategic, strategically planning PM services. We also oftentimes are doing things with multiple guys so we can do a PM service very, very quickly. It's sort of a, a little bit of a NASCAR mentality. We're, we're doing oil changes and spark plug changes in, in a very short amount of time. We've even been to the point where we've got timers, 15 minutes, set the timer and go. it's go time. And that unit's got to be back online. So we'll take a very aggressive approach to saving it. And then also we touched upon earlier energy storage. Where we see energy storage fitting in is Tigogen is actually developing a battery uh, storage system that will integrate with our CHP unit. And the idea is you basically have a way of, of capturing demand even while we're doing PM service or even more extensive service on the equipment. So, for example, we might have two hours of coverage where we could change cylinder heads on an engine and literally the customer sees no increase in their demand because the battery is providing that same output that that the cogen unit would have provided so that's kind of a kind of a, a future uh, development that we're working on well that's great background so steve you started by um, going at the, the uh, traditional chp model with uh, you know electrical generation and some hot water as a as a byproduct with that but then you teased us early on about uh, mechanical chp you want to give us some some background on on that technology and how it differs from traditional chp and where it might uh, find application yeah sure so one of our chp products is like you said, what we call a mechanical CHP product, and that really focus on our, we have a line called Tico Chill, which is a line of uh, natural gas engine-driven chillers. So if you can imagine, we're basically taking the same prime mover that would drive a generator in our other product, which is called the Inverde, and we're actually going to drive instead a kind of a mechanical process, which would be a refrigeration compressor. So we're literally connecting the shaft of the prime mover to the shaft of refrigeration compressor and so your engine you put natural gas in you get shaft work to turn that shaft to produce mechanical cooling and then we have kind of all the same heat recovery off the prime mover from the engine jacket and the exhaust and the oil and all that sort of stuff to deliver hot water to that customer so a lot of customers that could benefit from traditional uh, electrical chp may also you know have chillers and be doing cooling in the facility say a hospital that same facility is also requiring hot water for DHW or reheat and that sort of thing. So it can be serve kind of a lot of the same benefits, but just sort of a different way to skin the cat. I think really when you get down to the sort of the minutia of it, what you find is that what we're doing is we're going in there, maybe uh, if it's a retrofit, we're removing an electric power chiller, literally taking it out of the building, right? And we're directly replacing it with our chiller. 
which is natural gas powered. When you look at that from a demand savings perspective, what you find is that, you know, if we have an issue with that chiller and it turns off an alarm, okay, now the service guy drives to the site to fix it, just like he would do with an electric chiller. But the difference is you didn't incur a demand impact when that happened, which you potentially would have if that had been an electrical CHP system, right? The electrical CHP system always will have the grid as its crutch, right? So if you have an alarm or the unit goes down, on the 16th minute, bam, that's when you get hit with the demand. With the TicoChill product, you just don't have cooling for you know an hour or however long it takes the service guy to get there. You may not have a $40,000 demand bill that month on your 800-ton chilled water plant. That sort of kind of unique advantage is it's almost guaranteed demand savings. Right. People would notice that $40,000 demand charge showing up on their bill. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we do a lot of uh, hybrid plants. So that's basically when you have, say, one gas chiller and one electric chiller that are kind of working together. Maybe the electric chiller becomes kind of the redundant chiller or the lag chiller. So, you know, in that case, we have conversations with customers that we say, look, if if this ch- if the natural gas chiller has an issue, immediately give us a call or we may even know about it if we have an automated dispatching system and we'll try to get there. You know, if we can get there in 45 minutes, um, do not start your electric chiller if you can wait 45 minutes because we might be able to come there. 15 minutes later, make an adjustment or change and that thing's back online. And, and if you can kind of plan that properly, you can really avoid a lot of unnecessary demand charges. So it's a, it's really about educating the customers, having those conversations. I mean, we have sites where there's an electric chiller and there's, there's a padlock on the chiller and the facilities guys are not allowed to start that thing up unless they get three sign-offs from their superiors. Interesting. Hey, Ron, have you seen the uh, the Tico, uh, Tico Chill product in the marketplace? Yeah, in fact, Steve was gracious enough to give us a tour over at the Valley Sports, which is an ice rink uh, locally here. Was it Carl, who who's the owner of the ice rink? It was like Steve paid him to produce a commercial on the Tico Chill. He had nothing but good things to say about the the savings he was receiving and the product and the service. So I was really impressed. And, you know, he was able to use his hot water for uh, the Zambonis as well as uh, the ice melt. Uh, it was really a win-win for everybody. So, Steve, uh, that's a story about a, an ice rink. Are there particular types of facilities that you've found uh, great success and savings opportunities at? Party of Tico Chill customers are say, uh, large institutional buildings. We do a lot of hospital work with that product. Uh, Jamaica Hospital in New York City has 14, I believe, Tico Chill units, basically primarily 100% cooled by Tico Chill. You find our Tico Chill chillers at uh, UConn Stores Campus. They have, uh, I think, 1,800-ton Tico Chill gas engine-driven chiller plant there. So usually large institutional buildings. Many of those you know, have a need for hot water year round, or at least in the cooling season for, you know, dehumidification, or it could be domestic hot water. A hotel would be another good example. They could potentially use our waste heat to um, heat the domestic hot water and maybe heat a pool. Those are places that you might see our products. And and a lot of times it's a similar facility to where electrical CHP may have also been a fit. Um, And I think Really, the decision on which way to go often comes down to timing. I think if if a facility is planning to replace a chiller um, that's sort of getting towards end of useful life, 
that can be a really great opportunity to kind of kill two birds with one stone with with the TicoChill product. But you know, we're we're retrofitting electrical CHP systems into buildings that might have a brand new chiller plant essentially. So they're they're obviously not going to make maybe take out a, a brand new chiller and throw it away. But um, in that case, the electrical CHP system can be kind of an in addition to a system that can save the customer some money. Ron, let me ask uh, from the utility perspective, what's been the utility response to uh, Tico Chill, Tico Gen, and, and CHP products in general? Yeah, the, the local utilities here are definitely interested in the Tico Chill as an energy efficiency measure. And I've seen them be addressed on both the gas and the electric side, believe it or not, as far as uh, incentives. I think you've received incentives both from the gas end and the electric end, depending on the, the jurisdiction and how they approach this piece. Yeah, that's correct. So typically, Tico Chill in Massachusetts is screened as a elect- custom electric measure. It's essentially a fuel switching measure. Basically, the way it works is you you offset a certain number of kilowatt hours from the grid. Uh, you have a fuel penalty, and then your fuel penalty gets reduced by the amount of heat recovery you you recover from the engine and, and use throughout the building. That heat recovery is offsetting boiler gas, right? So essentially, the way it works is it's a CHP system. It, it just doesn't quite fit into the prescriptive CHP system, which is really geared and written around a product that makes electrons and makes a kilowatt hour. So despite that, there are still ways it, it, it can be screened in the programs here, which which is great. Basically, the programs are flexible enough to recognize, hey, this is, this is a CHP system and this does make sense. Um, we're seeing that being adopted in other places as well. And also, Ron, one thing I want to mention is in, in New York City, we're seeing some really big incentives for products like Tico Chill, not so much maybe from an efficiency standpoint, but from a peak load or peak demand reduction standpoint. So there's the whole Con Ed uh, demand management program, which will right now I think is paying something like $600 a ton for non-electric cooling, which is a huge incentive. That's a, a nice additive. That's a nice piece for you to bring to the table as a, as a benefit for f- folks uh that adopt the technology. Hey, Steve, what are some common objections that you hear related to the technology and, and, and what's your typical response? Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a great question. I think today we're, I'm finding that most people understand the concept of electrical CHP. They today understand that you really need to have a service contract, preferably from the manufacturer. Seems to be what a lot of people are are going towards. And I think they understand that there's a certain cost associated with that. And that cost really gets subtracted from at the end of the day from your savings. So I think today what we're seeing is is people understand that kind of business model. Whereas in the past, I think it was new to people. They, they tried to um, uh, save some money maybe and not enroll in such a program. And then there were a lot of systems I think that didn't work that well. And that sort of gave the industry, CHP industry, a little bit of a black eye for a little while, but I, I am seeing that being kind of lifted um, and not become so much of an issue anymore. So I think with, with the Tico Chill product, that kind of concept has helped remove some of the stigmas. You know, people would you in the past say, oh, well, it's an engine. You know, do I have to pay extra maintenance on that? And, you know, the answer is, yeah, of course, but uh, the savings is greatly going to outweigh that added cost. That's sort of the business model. It, if it didn't work, there wouldn't be so many CHP companies out there. 
and then just general reliability. You know, we've we've been doing this for 35 years now. Ron mentioned Valley Sports Arena. We have 99.99% uptime there. We have response time less than one hour. And that's really just due to a really well-established network of service personnel. So we can put a lot of those concerns to bed, which are most of the time maintenance-related. Um, and then, of course, you get the, the first cost challenge. Um, obviously, utility incentives are, are help, helping remove that. And then also you see a lot of companies out there that are willing to finance CHP projects for customers, whether that be mechanical or electrical. They'll they'll own and operate a whole CHP plant on the customer's site. They'll either you know formulate a tolling agreement with the customer or they're do a shared savings program. So there's just so many people that are willing to to step up and throw money at that. And uh, you know usually when push comes to shove, we find companies a lot of companies just rather kind of go it alone once they realize they're giving a big piece of their savings up uh, to this partner. Certainly, there's there's a lot of people that do prefer that type of agreement. Those are two of the, two of the main things I'd say: maintenance concerns and, and first costs, you know, hurdles. That's a great list and a and a good response, Ron. What do you think? Uh, how much opportunity untapped in the marketplace for CHP technology is there? I, I think, especially in the, the mechanical CHP, there's a large untapped opportunity because, as Steve mentioned, uh, you don't have to go through the utility interconnection process, which is a big, big hurdle. So in that regard, it's it's a great option for the customers that have cooling and heating needs simultaneously. It's a great option. If I could jump in there, probably I probably uh, didn't talk about that enough. So since a lot of listeners will probably be from it's in the Boston area for years, we've had sort of a, a challenge where it's, it's pretty difficult to interconnect to the, to the grid with any type of DG in downtown Boston. Um, so you, you won't see a lot of traditional CHP systems there for that reason. And, and I often think about, you know, how many of those buildings in downtown Boston have huge electric chillers that are just cranking away in the middle of summer contributing to the peak demand and grid congestion issues in the TicoChill project is a really neat way to kind of sidestep that interconnection challenge and provide the same benefits to that customer. Well, Steve, you've given us a long list of benefits that uh, TicoGen and, and, and you can provide. So thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, as always, the, the 15 minutes that we aim for, we've exceeded that. So I hope that uh, people will take time to follow up and, and with you directly and, and get their, their specific questions answered. So Steve LaFail from uh, Tico Gen, I want to thank you for being part of Energy Matters to you. Wish you, wish you the best. We'll be tracking you. And, uh, you know, if we can be of any help, please feel free to, to reach out to Ron and myself. Ron, any final word? Uh, no, just uh, thank you, Steve. And we are looking for sponsors and additional guests. So for you listeners out there that may be interested, please uh, contact me or myself. That's great. And as always, the podcasts are available on the, on the Podbean site or uh, head over to the LinkedIn site, Energy Matters to you, and, and join the growing community of folks that are following us. So that concludes uh, the, our, our, our uh, discussion today with Steve LaFail from uh, Tico Gen. I want to thank you for being part of uh, Energy Matters to you. This has uh, been Leo Ryan and Ron Galuli. There's work to be done. Go make a difference. <laughs>